of the sky. Look. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Welcome to another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I'm your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, and you have tuned into the podcast that talks exclusively comic book animation. Like I said, thank you for joining us. Welcome to episode 38, and I'm going to briefly explain the rules. Rule number one is comic book animation. I just said that. Pay attention. Rule number two, big fan of DC Comics Presents, Marvel Team Up, all the old Team Up books. So this is a Team Up podcast every week. It's me and a special guest talking comic book animation. And rule number three, and most important, we got to have fun. Without any further ado, I'm going to bring my guest. Welcome to the multiverse, Brian Phillips. Hey. Hey, man. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm a little chilly today. It's like one degree outside. Other than that, I'm good. And I hope wherever you are, uh, I hope you're a lot warmer than where we are. Like I said, welcome to episode 38. We went a little back and forth on deciding what to talk about. We kind of narrowed it down to uh, Superman or Daredevil. Well, it wasn't really Daredevil. It was like, a, you know, you, you said a Superman episode, a Spider-Man episode, like something that included somebody. And I was like, well, this one has two heroes in it. Let's, let's do it up. That is true, but I also, uh, I don't know about you, I'm a big fan of Daredevil, so I kind of wanted to find something about him, and he never had his own cartoon. I love Daredevil. He's one of my favorite characters, period. Jamie J. Mikowski hates him for whatever reason, refused to watch his Netflix show. It's a sore subject between him and I, but uh, yeah, I love Daredevil. He's fantastic. Long time listeners to the show, Jamie is our, uh, the show's Batman expert, and I was unaware. He hates Daredevil? Yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> well, because we're on this, but yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to have to, next time he comes back in the show, I'm going to get to the bottom of that. Regardless, uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk Daredevil because we'd already done a couple of Spider-Man episodes. Unfortunately, Daredevil has never had his own cartoon. So instead, we picked an episode of Spider-Man the Animated Series that heavily features the man without fear. Yes, yes, he... Uh, I don't know. I'd never seen this Spider-Man series before, and seeing this version of him and this version of Matt Murdock on Daredevil was jarring. I guess I'm just used to reading them, and you know, obviously seen the movies and the show, but like, yeah, this was an interesting take. I thought of uh, Daredevil overall. Before we go any further, I always throw out a disclaimer: uh, I am not a comic expert. I don't claim my guests to be comic experts. We're always just two people talking comic books. So uh, if we get something wrong, please don't get upset. This is all in fun. And I will warn you, there's going to be spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm certainly not a comic book expert. I haven't read a comic book in like close to 20 years at this point. So, Superman has always been your favorite DC hero or would you say your favorite hero overall? He's my favorite overall. I mean, I, how can you go wrong? Truth, justice, and the American way. Like he's... Well, it's a better well, tomorrow it's, now. Yeah, now it's something different, which, again, I haven't read comics in 20 years. But, I mean, Superman was always, like, the guy for me. He was, stood for everything that was right. Like, he was he's the best. So would you say uh, 
Daredevil, though, is your favorite Marvel character? Uh, you know, when reading comics, pr- yeah, probably. Uh, watching movies and, and watching animated shows, whatever, not necessarily. But yeah, when it came to reading, uh, I enjoyed his stuff probably the most, yeah. We are going to be talking, it is Spider-Man's cartoon, but we're going to be focusing heavily on Daredevil in this episode. Uh, give some credit, Spider-Man obviously was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko back in 1962, but Daredevil was created back in 1964 by Stan Lee and Bill Everett. And there's been some rumors and innuendos that Jack Kirby had a hand in the design of the original Daredevil costume, but that's never actually been confirmed. Oh, really? I was unaware. I had no idea. Yeah, they said that he there's been claims he came up with the Billy Club idea and um, he designed a lot of the original outfit, but that's never actually been confirmed by Jack Kirby himself. Huh. The humorous origins to Daredevil to me is uh, Stanley had said that uh, in the 60s when they were having so much success, he had read a lot of the reviews saying that uh, all the Marvel characters had flaws. So he's like, well, I guess I got to create a character with a flaw. <laughs> so he decided to make Daredevil blind. To my knowledge, the first well, he's the first handicapped character ever superhero in Marvel. I guess technically Dr. Midnight is also blind, but Dr. Midnight can see 24 hours a day, so I don't know if that really counts. Right, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, the whole flaw thing with uh, Stan Lee back in the day was pretty evident when you like see the, a lot of the characters that he worked on and stuff. And He's blind. Matt Murdock is blind, but I don't know. Daredevil shows zero signs at all of being blind because all of his other senses are heightened so much. So it doesn't really work, I guess. Yes, the accident that gave him his powers... Uh Gave him uh, radar senses, uh, which made him pretty much be able to get around the blindness. Even though they've later on retconned it to everybody has radar senses, except his were just accentuated. Insentu- uh, Is that the <laughs> Yeah, accentuated. <laughs> accentuated so yes. much because of what had happened to him. Right, yeah. And there's been various ways of them showing that in movies, TV shows, and whatnot. Like, so you can kind of get a feel for how it works, but yeah. And uh, Stan Lee had said at the time, now granted, with I love Stan Lee, but everything he says you got to take with a grain of salt sometimes because he's his own PR man. But he said that uh, he was very nervous about creating a blind character, thought it would get a lot of negative reaction, but it turned out a lot of uh, people that uh, represented uh, disability and handicap groups actually loved the idea of a disabled superhero. I'm sure when he came out too, it was like a controversial or a big thing. There wasn't a lot of like diversity back then. <laughs> they probably he, I, he probably I assume thought that they, they they might think that he was mocking it or somehow belittling it. Ever print any Daredevil comics in Braille? I, you know that's a good question uh, <laughs> to look that up. Uh, I would imagine they would have to, but who knows? I don't really have to, but yeah, I mean that would work for Daredevil. And then, um, what's your take of the original black, red, yellow, short-lived original Daredevil costume? I mean, it didn't doesn't bother me i think it's cool i think it's neat i like you know seeing evolutions of see for me i like when things change in comics i like evolutions and and things changing ebbs and flows you know like a football team doesn't have the same uniform for 30 years straight it changes over time things change they they adapt um that was one of the big reasons why i stopped reading comics because nothing changed but the fact that daredevil had gone through that and and came back to went to the red and stuff i i, I like that and there's also a rumored in, in, innuendo that uh you don't like when they bring characters back from the dead oh, no i hate it i hate it i hate why kill him in the first place if if, if he's gonna bring him back 
<sighs> so frustrating. <laughs> now, I like, I don't think the costume's very good, but I like the idea of, and I don't know if it was done on purpose, that since he couldn't see, maybe he couldn't really design that right yeah I mean, he's blind yeah like yeah, i don't know if he knows colors oh he knew he knows colors because he lived for a little while with sight but yeah that costume didn't last long though i believe it was uh issue six or seven that wally wood designed the classic red daredevil costume that everybody knows and loves wally wood interesting and that's a name i don't, don't think i knew <laughs> he's he uh was more prominent in the 50s 60s so uh daredevil I wouldn't say he was one of the, I wouldn't say he was a failure of the Silver Age of Marvel, but I don't think in the time he, his sales were consistent, he kept his book going, but he never reached the pinnacle of the Avengers or Spider-Man or the Fantastic Four. No, I I can see that. He's not that type of, he's not like this, I mean, I guess he is extraordinary, but he's not like this otherworldly type being or character. He's not going to be fighting Thanos or, you know, going against something that's that's bigger than street thugs type thing. Or, or For me, I, the thing I liked so much about him is the double life. You get the lawyer stories. You get some of that type of aspects of him. In addition to the superhero type stuff, like it, it, it was really appealing to me and it was a different aspect. And then for me, like when Bendis was writing for him, it was just you really got into a lot of that both sides of the tail thing that was really cool but i can see why he wouldn't take off and be this huge guy with not you know just he's kind of just like a dude uh one of the reasons i think uh well two when he started he was a little bit more of a spider-man knockoff he was a little bit more quick with a joke back in the 60s really yeah he did had a lot more quips and whatnot and he was a little bit more light-hearted back uh, then i don't necessarily like that idea and I think another flaw was he didn't have a very strong rogues gallery. Like the villains people associate with Daredevil didn't come around until much later. Kingpin was a Spider-Man villain that Daredevil kind of hijacked. Bullseye wasn't introduced till quite some time before that. The hand wasn't in play. So I think that's part of why he suffered. He, I mean, his villains were the Jester, Purple Man, the Owl, Stilt Man. I mean, these aren't <laughs> <laughs> these aren't villains that everybody was. Uh, holds fond memories of it's like one of those things i can see them sharing rogues because they're kind of like all in the same town same city same town <laughs> you know they're, they're all in the same city so like a lot of these people co-inhabit co-inhabit yeah that'd be i guess yeah <laughs> they, you know they all live in the same place how about that yeah um so it, it's only it makes sense to me that they would share stuff but yeah i can see them not having some of his own right away yeah and obviously, uh, if you're going to talk Daredevil, you really cannot not speak about Frank Miller. It wasn't until his run in the late 70s, early 80s that the character really became in prominence. And uh, that's when he really adapted Kingpin as uh, his main villain. He, he didn't create Bullseye, but he brought him into the fold more. He invented Elektra and the hand, stick. All yeah. those aspects are now like really everyone associates with Daredevil. Seems like every character somewhere along the way has like one particular storyline, story arc, or writer that really takes that person to the next level and becomes like the iconic type of person that brings that character to the next level, the ones that are still around. And yeah, Frank Miller was definitely the guy for Daredevil. Um, An interesting uh, fact about uh, Elektra Assassin is, uh, in a way, Superman is credited for that creation because Frank Miller always thought it was stupid 
that Superman would be attracted to someone like Lois Lane, it would make more sense he'd be attracted to Wonder Woman or someone on his level of power. And that's the sense of why he created Elektra, that instead of Karen Page, Daredevil would be more attracted to someone who was like his equal. That's interesting on numerous levels to me. Like, part of the reason why I love Superman so much is that he is Superman, but he chooses to live part of his life as Clark Kent. Like That's like his alter ego versus all these other people that were a regular person first yeah. and became super. He's super and chooses to kind of live like the regular life. So Lois Lane works for him. It's kind of like part of the charm to Superman. I mean, yeah, Karen Page and Elektra both like, again, Daredevil's blind. <laughs> you're going to get an attraction to a personality and stuff. You're not going to like be knocked off his socks, uh, have his socks knocked off right away um, <laughs> just you know, by seeing somebody. So yeah, I mean, I get it, I guess, but don't at the same time. And uh, another interesting tidbit, uh, Matt Murdock is Catholic. Not a lot of superheroes have any kind of religion, or if they do, it's not really all that prominent, but him being Catholic was actually a big part of his story. Well, I also, you know, back in the day, it was a little, I guess, easier or more accepted to talk about religion. But yeah, that kind of works for him. Because I try and give credit. Even though Frank Miller had done that run, I believe it's, they said Denny O'Neill, who was Daredevil's writer when Frank Miller first came over at Artist, had suggested the more realistic fighting style for Daredevil, which led to the hand, Electra, and all that stuff as well. Uh, that realistic fighting style carried over into the Netflix show. Those awesome fight scenes of like oh, yeah. him going down like six flights of stairs, just one constant shot. So awesome. Now we've uh, we've talked a lot about Daredevil. We're going to switch over to animation because it's really what the show is supposed to be about. <laughs> to my knowledge, up to this point, we're going to be talking the episode The Man Without Fear of Spider-Man the Animated Series. Original air date, September 28th, 1996. Now, to my knowledge, the only time Daredevil had showed up to animation at this point was he showed up on an episode of Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends, which I think was the episode that featured the Beatle, if I'm not mistaken. And he wasn't even like as prompt. This is the first real prominent Daredevil story ever done in animation. Yeah, well, I guess this is like the second part that Daredevil was in, I think you said. Yes, um, season three of Spider-Man the Animated Series was a whole overreaching arc called Sins of the Father, but this was a two-part story that introduced Daredevil into the storyline. I believe Framed was the name of part one. We picked this one I did because I just liked it. It was called Man Without Fear, so that made me think right, this yeah. is more about Daredevil. How did he come across that nickname? Do you know? I, I, cause I don't. Yeah, I don't know. He had it almost from the very beginning, and I, I don't know really where, because uh, Green Lantern has always been born with uh without fear as well uh, so i don't know <laughs> green lantern has always been boring too um no thank you <laughs> <laughs> so um we're gonna get a little bit into the history of spider-man the animated series magic uh, ring that's what green lantern has <laughs> debuted in uh, 1994 it was uh marvel studios animation and it ran on the fox network john sempler was uh, one of the uh, main people that worked on the show. Some interesting tidbits. Uh, I covered this on an earlier episode. He had wanted a contrasting animation style to Batman the Animated Series, which was very uh, prominent 
in the early 90s. Oh, okay. All right, I, I can see that, yeah. He found it a bit cartoony, he said, and he had wanted it different. So, oh, I, right, okay, I can see that. Because this is like made to look... I mean, it's very comic book feeling, like the the art and whatnot. Uh, a lot of the characters look exactly like they do in you know, the comics, like which is which was awesome. Now, also some interesting bits um, about we covered earlier, but I wanted to get your opinion on these. Spider-Man: The Animated Series. Uh, two of the villains that could not appear were Electro and Sandman, due to at the time James Cameron was developing a Spider-Man film project, and those were the <laughs> villains he was going to use. So. They were unable to use those characters at the time. So wait, you couldn't use them in this because they were possibly going to be used in a film? Yeah. Now, I'm assuming it's a case of maybe he wasn't developing it for 20th Century Fox. So maybe it was because it was rival studios. Interesting. Similar to how like, um, you know, some characters, like, for example, Disney owns the Fantastic Four now, but the old Fantastic Four cartoon they don't own because Hanna-Barbera produced it so sometimes it's a case of right yeah studio. that's interesting i also just didn't know maybe it was like um overexposure type thing they didn't want two differing versions or, or or visions of a character out at the same time um another interesting thing joe perry from aerosmith had worked on the theme song to spider-man the animated series really yeah joe perry huh all right they also had some uh censorship issues even though the creators say that it's been exaggerated over the years but Two of the more interesting ones I found was when Superman landed on buildings, they were very adamant that he could not- Spider-Man? Spider-Man, yeah. Did I say- You said Superman. All right. (laughs) I said again, Spider-Man when he landed on buildings, they were very adamant he could not land on any pigeons, not hurt any pigeons, (laughs) jumping from building to building. All right. I can see that. Yeah. And the other one- Very important, those pigeons. (laughs) Ridiculous was- and this was a quote, Carnage couldn't be a serial killer. He could just be a lunatic- <laughs> I mean, it's like a 21 minute episode here, and they're not like going such into super detail about some of these characters. But all right, that's whatever. And like I said earlier, aren't all serial killers lunatics? <laughs> One would assume, yeah. Now, uh, like I said, this episode is called uh, "The Man Without Fear." It is directed by a Bob Richardson, written by John Sempler, Mark Hoffmeyer, and uh, Sean Derrick. They say it was loosely based on Amazing Spider-Man's issues 172, 182, and 183, which off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't picture those in my head, those particular issues. Yeah, no. They claimed it was a backdoor pilot to try and launch Daredevil into his own series, which never actually Really? Happened. I mean, I, okay. I mean, I know comic, like, like the comic book cartoons were pretty hot at the time, so I can see them trying to want to get more out there, but yeah. And supposedly Marvel themselves, even though this is Marvel Studios animation, did not have as much control of what creatively happened because the bankruptcy of Marvel was going on at the time. And the creators credit a lot of the decisions they they might not have gotten to do if Marvel had more say in what the cartoon could and couldn't do. That's interesting. Do you think they'd be like more protective? Like they just wouldn't allow as much? I bet they probably would have been a little more... um, controlling yeah they probably would have pushed for less violence not that it was a super violent cartoon i bet you they would have pushed more in a direction to make it like one of those toy selling cartoons from the 80s right um but i mean it still would have been like how could you not have sold toys from this like didn't they yeah they did they were successful and actually they avi arad i think yeah so i I, I, here's the first thing i put in my notes was that his name was like 
one of the first things in the credits, Avi Arad, yeah. They convinced him that a good, well-told story would ultimately sell just as many toys as making it push toys. And uh, they did have a very extensive toy line that came with it in the 90s. Right. See, my, uh, my only issue with that is, is like, as a kid, especially like stuff like this, like, you're going to see all these episodes so out of order and in random times or whatever. Like, the story is, is great. But to think that this whole season was one long story, like, it's pretty wild. So, before we get into the cartoon itself, uh, I'm going to do my uh, credit where credit is due segment. I, I obviously already told you Spider-Man who created him. He's voiced by uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes, who uh, you may or may not know he was most prominent uh, for playing Greg Brady on the Brady Bunch movies. Really? Oh, the movies? Yeah, really? The movies. Yeah. Ah, interesting. He'd done some other voice animation, but... Uh, that was uh, his most famous role. How old is Spider-Man in these, in these comics? He's out of high school. He's not the teen version. Right, yeah. I'd say he's early 20s. Okay. I would probably have to guess. They might have. If I rewatched the whole show, they might actually say, but he's definitely not the teen version. Obviously, I also credited who created Daredevil, and Edward Albert does his voice, and uh, he's not anyone I know all that well. He had done, I found a bunch of voiceover work he's done over know, the just years. Character or voice actor, all right. I'm only going to go over the major players in this episode. Kingpin, he was created by Stan Lee and John Romita Jr. He's voiced by Roscoe Lee Brown, the late Roscoe Lee Brown, who's a, uh, he's done a lot of voice acting as well as regular acting. Uh, he's done voices on Ghostbusters, Batman, Freakazoid, and too many others to list. Who could forget Freakazoid? Do you actually remember? I have never <laughs> I have no idea what that is. <laughs> His son, Richard Fisk, he's voiced by Nick Jameson. He was also created by Stan Lee and John Romita Jr. And ultimately, uh, Mary Jane Watson, also created by Stan Lee and uh, John Romita Jr., voiced by a Sarah Valentine. So I do believe, I know I'm jumping into the cartoon real quick, that Mary Jane is like early 20s too or something like that in this? Yeah, because they were about the same age. She does. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, another uh, notable bit. This was the season that him and Mary Jane actually started dating on the cartoon itself. Oh, okay. All right. All right. On that note, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to watch Spider-Man: The Animated Series, The Man Without Fear. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's more than one reason why Daredevil is the number one movie. Could you be a little bit more specific? It's spectacular, fantastic, and out-of-the-box astonishing. Well, yes, among other things. It's wonderful and fun. Is there anything else? Ebert and Wilbur cheer. Two thumbs up. I love this movie. It's a home run. The first real event film of 2003. Well, you've exceeded all my expectations. Daredevil. Rated PG-13. Now playing. Sorry I can't hang around. Because the action's at McDonald's. Now you can get a Spider-Man Happy Meal with cool characters and their hot cars. Spider-Man, I just saw Scorpion in the drive-thru. One with every Spider-Man Happy Meal you buy. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been too long since my last confession. been preoccupied of late with questions of morality of right and wrong good and evil we don't say his name 
Perhaps this will be easier if you tell me what you've done. How did it happen? Oh, you think this is still about you? I'm not seeking forgiveness for what I've done, Father. I'm asking forgiveness for what I'm about to do. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. And we are back. And we just watched Spider-Man the Animated Series episode, The Man Without Fear. We're going to get into a little bit more, but I got to say, the first thing is, maybe you don't agree, but Daredevil's voice. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit off to me, I got to say. It's unfortunate that we masked men must hide so much from the world. Yeah, it was, again, it was not really what I expected or like imagined or thought it would be. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I pictured more normal guy sounding when I pictured how Daredevil sounds, and this, he really sounds like deep voice, like really commanding superhero type voice yeah they really made him like um yeah a superhero-esque so the show opens with you know the previously what happened shows you some highlights of uh, the episode before peter parker's been uh framed for a crime matt murdoch is his uh lawyer, lawyer. and unlike the mcu in these cartoons nobody knows each other's secret identity so they don't even know that matt murdoch is daredevil and he doesn't know peter parker is right. spider-man yeah and we go into the opening credits what do you think? You like this uh, opening credit theme song? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's like electronic, like Spider Man, Spider Man. Yeah, I don't know. It's you automatically when you think of the Spider Man cartoon, you automatically view it, even in your head just goes back to the original Spider Man song, right? Yeah, usually it's the uh, yeah the Spider Man, Spider. Right. Yeah. So to hear a completely different version of that was. Interesting, but yeah, I mean, eh, it was fine. We open up with a cliffhanger left off. Spider-Man and Daredevil are in the uh, exploding building. They need to get the disc that's going to clear Peter Parker. The only evidence that will clear Peter Parker's name. Which is on a (laughs) CD-ROM. In this giant, like, supercomputer thing. I'm wondering, do half of today's youth even know what a goddamn (laughs) CD-ROM even is? Yeah. I will say, Daredevil's costume is great on this cartoon. They made it like really dark. Yeah, it's like a darker red where it's like, it looks like inked a lot heavier than it would be, but I think it actually looks really good. Yeah, I liked it a lot. thought it was cool. Daredevil does ask why uh, Spider-Man is so interested in Peter Parker, which he retorts that uh, he likes, he always shoots my good side. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely tried to be the more jokey Spider-Man, like uh, not (laughs) always to good results in this episode. He saves Daredevil from a falling column. He goes to the giant computer to get the disc. Well, he saves him from the column, then he just like leaves him. He's like, I know this place is going to explode any minute now, but all right. 
I'm just going to climb up here and get this disc. And uh, he says that he hopes the software isn't, isn't soft-boiled. Boiled. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. <laughs> Again, one of those jokes that were not that good. <laughs> so he does get the disc, but then a part of the building collapses on him, which then Daredevil saves him, says we're going to get out of here. And oddly, he says... How are you going to do that? You can't see through the smoke. So, yeah, I thought that was really weird that he did that. Because he doesn't know Daredevil's blind. Right. I don't remember him ever saying anything like that to any other hero in any burning building in ever in the history of Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I found that to be really weird as well. Like It really stuck out to me. Which Daredevil retorts with, maybe some of us see the world differently. And then they showed like a Daredevil vision. Because it was like red, right? Like a yeah, red it was like screen. a reddish, orangish type screen. It's I guess is representing his radar senses. Yeah. By the way, um, all they do is just run out side by side out of the building anyway. So yes. I don't know what the concern even was in the first place. <laughs> he gives him the disc to tell him to give him to Murdoch. At this point, um, Daredevil explains that uh, Wilson Fisk is really the kingpin. So at this point. Spider-Man did not know that Wilson Fisk was actually the kingpin of crime. So I had a problem with this in general. How does not everybody know? Well, in the comics for a long time, and depending on whether they retcon, it's always been that kingpin is seen as an entrepreneur, and a majority of Manhattan doesn't know he's an actual, or it's not, there's no proof that he's a confirmed crime lord. Right, like a Lex Luthor-esque type of thing. For lack of a better like comparison, like Lex Luthor's a dude, he's a guy, but he's also, you know, like, there's all those, like, shady underground type things as well. Like, Kingpin's the same way, but they're making it seem like two completely different things. Now, has Kingpin just never been seen before, or? I'd have to rewatch the show. I don't know if he's never actually directly interacted with the Kingpin. You know, what's the old term? You know, he's a legitimate businessman in, yes. the, in the eyes of me. <laughs> yeah, okay. And right when this happened, his spidey sense goes off, a bunch of federal agents show up. They're shooting at Peter and Daredevil, who split up so they can get away. Yeah, literally just shooting at them. Like yes. I, like I was like, oh, all right, that's going right to that extreme there. And then there's a little uh, afterwards. Um, Detective uh, Terry Lee is talking to the federal agent Suzanne Choi, or Choi. I'm not sure how you say it. About how uh, Parker's not a traitor, and why are you uh, rushing to judgment on him? And uh, she says, just concern yourself about getting Parker. You're out of your jurisdiction. Get lost or I'm going to haul you in for a reprimand. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's like, you know, I'm going to write a strongly uh, worded letter. Every TV show that involves cops love a good out of your jurisdiction. Yes, they certainly do. When it's convenient to the plot most of the time. Right, yes. So then you go to uh, Wilson Fisk is with... Uh, Smythe and uh, his son Richard. So, okay, unfamiliar with Richard Fisk's Wilson Fisk's uh, son. Was he in like some sort of like electronic wheelchair? Was no, that that's Smythe? Okay, the guy who created the Spider Slayers. Okay, all right. The other guy in the suit is his son, who ended up being the Rose at one point in the comics. They might have retconned that since then, for all I know. Their uh, plan to frame Parker is working perfectly. But Kingpin's kind of upset because Parker's escaped, and uh, this puts the whole plan in jeopardy. He had that um, surveillance footage of Spider-Man getting the disc. Yes, he did. It didn't explode in the in the building or anything. Uh, apparently, it did not. It shows that he yeah he has the disc. 
And uh, he actually says it's all Smythe's fault for uh, his harebrained idea of framing Parker in the first place. <laughs> Which he says they had to throw off uh, the feds off the trail, so this was the most elegant solution. Very elegant. But then uh, he's a little mad because this is the first actual hard evidence on the kingpin that could actually uh, incriminate him. Because for the longest time uh, in the comics, it, they never could actually pin anything on Wilson Fisk. He's always uh, right. he's never facing any jail time. He's got himself covered. He's good. He's clean. Then Spidey goes back to find Murdoch, but he turns on the news and see that Aunt May has collapsed. So the news thing, and I guess I, I didn't realize it at first, but like... The news thing for me was weird because all they kept saying was the aunt of Peter Parker, the aunt of Peter Parker, like three different times on the news, the aunt of Peter Parker has collapsed. <laughs> and I was like, why would this be all over the news like this? Not realizing that Peter Parker uh, wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. So he's going to go to the hospital. He says that uh, there'd be a, a glimmer of light through the gloom if uh, he were to show up. Then Matt Murdock shows up, says that Daredevil gave him the disc, says that uh, he's uh, advising him to turn himself in. And he says, there's no time. Uh, and then he says, uh, you don't know what it's like to lose someone you love, which I always think is kind of a presumptuous thing to say to someone you barely know. <laughs> right, yeah. He just really just throwing that out there. Now, I mean, granted, he had no idea of knowing that Jack Murdock had been killed, but still, it just you do throw it out there, it's a little weird. And uh, Daredevil said, well, I should say Matt Murdock says that, uh, you know, I know better than you think. And he says as as his attorney, he advises against this. But as his friend, he encourages him to go ahead. He says, uh, be careful as a fugitive. They may shoot first, which I find a little weird. Uh, I suppose they've already shot at Daredevil and Spider-Man. So I guess it's in the context. It is logical. They would just start shooting at a at a one. Right. (laughs) I think he also knows that maybe Kingpin owns some of the police. His guys will do whatever to protect him. But he says he won't be seen. And then we flash to Spider-Man on the hospital looking in the window where it's uh, Aunt May not, in the hospital. Not landing on any pigeons when he landed on the uh, <laughs> hospital. No, he did not. Aunt May's in the hospital with Mary Jane, Harry Osborne, and uh, Anna Watson. They say that she should be fine. It's just the uh, all the stress that has caused this. Anna Watson, Mary Jane's on, is very upset that uh, Peter puts her through this. Yes. <laughs> it says that sometimes May would be better off if they caught Peter and locked him up. <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't be stressed at all then. <laughs> no, no, no. Not at all. This- all of her worries would wash away as soon as he got locked up. Mary Jane is mad about this and uh, storms off. And Harry says that uh, she doesn't like uh, bad things being said about Peter. I don't know, because um, you haven't watched this in a while. At this point, Harry Osborne is dating Mary Jane. So I caught that later on in the episode when um, Mary Jane kissed Peter. Yeah, which and leads to like, uh, oh. a previous episode that me and uh, the Eddie McCabe had, uh, we had reviewed where part of the feud with Green Goblin is that Harry feels that Peter Parker stole Mary Jane from him. Oh, okay. But they're not together at this point. Harry catches up to Mary to... Mary, it's a Mary Jane. Sounds weird to call her Mary, but <laughs> MJ. She's uh, worried about Peter. Murdoch says the disc will clear Peter, so there's that. So that's good. And uh, let's just say Parker has some friends, and she says there's uh, no time. They might shoot him, so they need to uh, exonerate him very quickly. Love talking about shooting in this. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Landing on a pigeon is too much, but 
Lots of guns being fired. So Murdoch hands that disc over to the federal agent. Oh, this scene <laughs> drove me up a wall. You find out the detective is following her because she's suspicious. Right. But yet part of Matt Murdoch's power set is that he can hear heartbeats and when they skip when you lie. So it's bizarre to me that Matt Murdoch is completely clueless that this girl will is, let's just say, suspicious. He, he gives her the disc and he's like, that's the only copy. Like, be careful with this. Make sure it gets into the right hands. It's the only copy. Like, such a weird, awkward scene. It made me so angry. So she's getting followed. Meanwhile, we go back to the hospital where Peter, uh, he sneaks MJ into a little side room, telling him that he needs her help. And he's glad that she hasn't given up on him. Which she says, never. And she even kisses him. But then apologizes because of her and Harry's right, relationship. Yeah. A little, little smooch. A little smooch there. So he tells her he's got to get in to see May. So uh, they come up with a clever plan to sneak uh, <laughs> Peter Parker in as a doctor. He's got the, the hair right this way, doctor. face mask. Oh, yeah. Which um, it made me think of you and laugh when uh, <laughs> when we saw Dark Knight and uh, you were so offended that when Harvey Dent didn't recognize Joker until he pulled the... <laughs> until, he, <laughs> until he pulled the nurse's mask off his face and he starts like freaking out. Because he didn't see the makeup and the, the blackness <laughs> from his eyes. Yeah, the hair, any of it, yeah. So, uh, it wasn't until that mask came off. Hi. <laughs> and then he's like, ah, he's going nuts. Like he's trying to <laughs> so they get in there, and uh, May knew that uh, she was innocent all along. That he was innocent, I should say. And she's so happy to see him. Then his spider sense kicks in. But all that happens is Anna Watson uh, comes in. And he, he thinks it's curious. He can't understand why she set off his spider sense. Yeah, and he's just, <sighs> whoa, why did that happen? Like, y- y- trust it, yeah, dickhead. <laughs> She's very happy to hear that they have evidence to clear Parker. Apparently, she doesn't want him locked up anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I guess with the evidence, she wouldn't want him locked up. But at the same time, she's right in front of the guy. She's not going to bury him right to his face. She's going to help him get out of there. They sneak into a elevator, which is... Spider Sense is still tingling. And right when the elevator door is closed, you see a different Anna Watson walks by the elevator. Like there's two of them. Dun, dun, dun. Once they get uh, out of the hospital, his Spider Sense goes off. Granted, at this point, Anna Watson turns into the chameleon. By the way, and I'm, we may jump ahead of here, but do you remember the chameleon having a single line of dialogue when he was actually just the chameleon? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so, no. He was always listening to other people or just being talked to. He only talks when he's in disguise. And by the way, the chameleon over the years, they've really gone back and forth on whether or not he's just wearing mask and prosthetics or if he can just literally turn into a person. Right. Yeah. It's so weird. They've never really been all that consistent on that point. So uh, he shoots gas, knocks them both out, sneaks them into a van rather easily how Spider-Man is abducted by the chameleon at this point. (laughs) Um, then Agent Troy, she gets into the, uh, actually, I think it's Suzanne. The federal agent gets into the car with, uh, Richard Frisk, giving him the disc. He knew his father's investment in her would pay off. But then you see the detective is following them. She's, she's really suspicious. She knows that something's up. And she even calls Murdoch to tell him what's going on, where, uh, Murdoch's got a pretty sweet bathrobe going on at this point. (laughs) Yes, he did. And uh, he says, uh, there'll be the devil to pay for this. 
<laughs> the one-liners in this show is awesome. You know, it's also bizarre that uh, Matt Murdock, he was called Daredevil. That was like the name the kids, the bullies used to call him to pick on him. And that's the name he adopted. And Matt Murdock hangs out with Daredevil all the time. But nobody can ever put two and two together that Matt Murdock might be Daredevil. I guess it must be the that no blind guy could ever do the things he does. That's true. So they go to the mansion where Richard Frisk, Chameleon, the federal agent are hanging out. The kingpin is on like a, a video chat. And he says that uh, I've got Parker in the disc. And then, and this was bizarre to me. And then kingpin's like, all right. I'll await news uh, from you to tell me that they're both eradicated. So, like, <laughs> not just do it now. Just, all right, call me back when you've destroyed the disc and killed Peter Parker. We go to Smith and Kingpin where he says how uh, his son has cleaned up your mess. Smith says how touching it is, and it pleases the Kingpin that his relationship with his son is nothing like the one with his father. Smythe then comments that uh, he knows very little of Kingpin's past. And then we get like a little mini Kingpin origin story yeah. type thing, right? You get a whole flashback where his dad was a small-time hood who wanted to be in the mob. Kingpin was always ostracized because of his weight, which <laughs> they have this great shot of Kingpin, but he's got hair and he's like yeah, he's a like, kid wearing yeah. shorts and he's chubby, <laughs> which is weird because... It's always been the big thing that he's not fat, that it's all that muscle. That is muscle. I think he has a lot of muscle like under the fat, but yeah, like that's like in the comics, like he's is super strong. And, uh, he goes to watch his dad rob a bank with some of his associates. And but So wait, did he go to watch him rob the bank or was he unaware that he was robbing the bank and he went to go see his dad? I suppose you see a car pull up and his dad and the other guys run into the bank and then he crows to watch him and then you see through the window he's robbing the bank. So I suppose it's possible he didn't know that was going on at the time. But at the right. same time, I don't know why you'd be robbing a bank in your own goddamn neighborhood. It seems like that's a <laughs> surefire way to get caught. And then uh, Kingpin accidentally trips his dad and his cohorts as they're trying to escape. That's the first time he calls him uh, Willie at that point in time, which we're going to get back to it a little because it doesn't. a lot of it doesn't add up. But he calls him Willie. He grabs them and, uh, as they're trying to escape. And they throw him into the van as they're trying to escape the bank. And then he says, uh, and this is a great line, that everything his father touched turned positively putrid. (laughs) (laughs) Then we flash forward to he's like, I think he's a teenager at this point. He joins his dad because he wants to get his acceptance. So he's doing crime with him. They're running from the cops. They're trying to climb a fire escape, but the kingman can't do it. I guess he's too weak at this point. It uh, didn't have that uh, those jail muscles yet. No, it did not. That leaves him behind where the cops catch him. At his trial, they say they'll give him leniency if he'll uh, rat out his dad. But uh, he will not do that. Sacrifices need to be made. I think his father said that, and he just adopted it. Right. Uh, so he goes to prison where he has to survive or be destroyed. Well, that's prison life. I mean, he's in there for petty theft. You even see that later on. I, I, <laughs> I, I think he's being a bit dramatic. But then he says, he, by the time he got out, he got all the skills in prison he needed to build his criminal empire and adopt a new name. What skills are those exactly? Like, I could see the getting all the, the muscle and whatnot, but what other skills did he learn to become the kingpin of crime when you, in prison? You're becoming friends with other people there, you know, so you're making some connections, some inroads to different organizations and stuff. 
I, I suppose. <laughs> he says he quickly becomes the kingpin. There's not a lot of backstory of how he gets from there to the kingpin of crime. He uses his mastery of technology. That, that, this was ridiculous. I never knew the Kingpin was so tech savvy until this cartoon. Yes, his mastery of technology to break into the FBI database. Is that what it was? He calls it the law enforcement computer system. (laughs) Where he erases his ID. And you see on the screen, his name is Moriarty Wilson. So why the F is his dad calling him Willie all the time? Well, Wilson, Willie. I, I guess, but normally when you nickname someone by their last name, it's someone you're friends with, not someone who has the same last name as you. Yeah, I guess, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Would one of the Usos call the other one Uso? I mean... They, they we call each other Us. <laughs> All right, I guess you, you might have got me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> you picked like the perfect thing that really foiled your plan? Talk about your all-time backfires, I guess, on that one. <laughs> so uh, once he's erased his name... The last loose end is his dad. So they bring him in, and this was also bizarre to me. He says that, it is you. No one believed me. I knew all along you were the kingpin. <laughs> there, there's a lot we seem to be missing, a lot of context. That He's just the only left one. Up. The kingpin, yeah, doesn't, you know, no one has seen him or knows him, but he did. And he says how uh, Willie died in prison, now it's your turn. Sacrifices must be made. And the gangsters are kind of zooming in on him, but. And then we kind of fade. Implication being, I'm assuming that they uh, took care of him. Took out his dad. So then we go back to the mansion. Peter tells him to let Mary Jane go. They got me. But they throw in a big glass tube. He thinks to himself, after all the risks he took as Spider-Man, it's going to be Peter Parker who's going to take the fall. And he can't even save the woman he loved. Now, okay, I can maybe give a pass to they haven't killed him at this point, but why the hell haven't they destroyed the disc at this point? They've been really out of it that that's the only thing that can bury Kingpin, and they still haven't destroyed the disc. Right. Just snap it in half as soon as you get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So then the police show up. There's a big shootout with Kingpin's men and the police. They're still locked up in the tube. Mary Jane can hardly breathe. Daredevil shows up, and he's going to even the odds. And you get another quick glance of his radar sense where you get to see everything through Daredevil's point of view. The detective goes to free Peter Parker, but she gets into a fist fight with the federal agent where they're both trying to do it. Finally, uh, she cuffs him and lets Peter Parker and Mary Jane out of the glass tube. And then uh, Kingpin says it's time to execute the contingency plan. Right. Which, well... The first plan wasn't even to destroy this disc they were trying to get their hands on. So Spider-Man tells Mary Jane to hide over there. Well, Peter Parker does, so he can switch into his Spider-Man gear. He webs a couple of uh, thugs. Daredevil confronts the chameleon, who then turns into Daredevil. So you get the classic, you know, twins. Nobody can tell them apart. Who's who? Who do I attack bit? Right. He says his Spider-Sense can't lock on because of all the movement. <laughs> Right, that's how it works. I thought a spider sense just warned him of danger. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. It's not like a radar sensor. Uh, Finally, Daredevil, one Daredevil snags up the other one with his billy club and a rope. And that gives it away because only the real Daredevil could be that good with a billy club. (laughs) Mary Jane takes out one of the guards and uh, tells uh, Spider-Man she's a single woman living in New York. Self-defense classes are a must. So she's single now? Or is she just like Spider-Man that much? 
I thought that was weird that she said she's single, even though she's dating Harry Osborne at the time. Maybe it's just that she was single at one point, so she had to learn self-defense. Yeah, I think she's putting the moves on Spider-Man. Daredevil catches up with Richard Fisk, who throws the disc to the chameleon, who burned his way through the ropes. So then they, uh, they go after the chameleon, who's in a helicopter. He goes into the Kingpin's building, which Spider-Man recognizes because an earlier episode, Hobgoblin had taken over this building. Oh. Daredevil says, since you know the layout, keep security busy while I take care of some unfinished business. Man, he's going after Kingpin. Spider-Man wraps up a couple of uh, security guards, asks God, uh, you know where the little spider room is? You know, those, qu- <laughs> those quips you like so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, Daredevil confronts the Kingpin, who says he doesn't know who he is. So he actually calls him the other one, so they haven't had any meetings at this point. And this was my favorite exchange of the whole episode. He says, the name is Daredevil. And Kingpin says, you'd have to be a Daredevil to dare challenge me. <laughs> That was your favorite one? Favorite lines of the. I just like the uh, three times dare got used. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he says, I'm, The police took your son and I'm taking you. And they get into a fight, which uh, they're kind of like, it's half fist fight, half like sword fight with sword his Sword fight cane with and, the canes. Billy yeah. <laughs> and, which is weird because Kingpin doesn't seem, even though earlier he seems like he's like a foot taller than everyone. In this fight scene, he. He's obviously wider and more girth, but he doesn't seem much taller than Daredevil. Yeah, it was nothing, uh, nothing amazing. Um, he says that uh, you're weak and useless. They both have flashbacks to their father because uh, his dad told Kingpin he was uh, weak and useless. Daredevil has one to when bad things happen with his, uh, his dad, Jack Murdoch. Finally, Kingpin gets the upper hand. He zaps him with uh, his cane, has like electricity, boom. And then Spidey shows up, webs him, and says, uh, hold on, Moby Dick. Yeah, you call him Moby Dick. So amazing. And I'm going to reel him in. And then Kingpin just pulls him in by the web and punches Spider-Man. And then he tries to escape. But now Spidey is out of web fluid. No, not now. Right? Yeah. Is that what he said? Yeah, not now. Worst time. But they do catch up to the helicopter. And he tells him to take it down. He says, the only thing going down is you. Now Spidey isn't out of web fluid anymore and uh, webs up the entire web shield so he can't see through it. <laughs> Maybe he switched... Uh, switched cartridges, cartridges uh, off camera. On, on the run. Yeah. Off camera, I think this was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> so Daredevil says, uh, hope Kingpin is good as a blind landing. Why do they insist on putting these stupid things in there? Like these quips. That all relate to Matt Murdock or Daredevil or being blind. Yes. It's absurd. So he kind of crashes into the street because of this, but more of a landing, I would say. And uh, Daredevil ropes Not him. a soul to be found no. uh, around, by the way. Cars are there, but there doesn't seem to be any actual people. There was nothing else going on in the city of New York. And uh, he, they uh, tie him up in ropes. And uh, Spider-Man says he's helpless as a beached whale. Yeah, that's what he called a beached whale. Yeah, I wrote that one down, too. Oh, but Jesus. it turns out that he's actually the chameleon. He was disguised as a kingpin, and he still has the disc. Daredevil says he knows it because he can see through disguises. Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man, shocked by that. He says, does this mean you can see through mine? And <laughs> Daredevil says, no, I respected your privacy. 
I'm a big believer in the Constitution and the law. <laughs> the law. The law. The law. The law. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that whole line was just absurd. He looked through anybody else's, but not Spider-Man's. There he respects his privacy. Yep. Because there's something in the Constitution, apparently, about not looking through superheroes' disguises. It's a great speech in a way. It's just odd at the same time. So ridiculous. We switch to... So this is going to clear Peter Parker. They go to the trial of uh, Richard Fisk. They find him guilty, but they're going to give him leniency if he will uh, rat out Kingpin which Wilson Fisk stands right behind him and whispers to him, sacrifices must be made. <laughs> so he does the same thing to his own son that his dad did to him. I'm not sure if legally you can... I guess at that, that point he's not a suspect, so I guess he could consult him. Right. I guess, but he's yeah. not part of his legal the defense team. Defense team, yeah. So yeah, maybe he is. He is an entrepreneur, so I guess maybe he could be. Peter Parker's leaving the courthouse and he bumps into Kingpin who apologizes. He bumps he, into Wilson Fisk. Wilson Fisk, excuse me, yes. Who apologizes. He didn't realize his son was stealing secrets and he had framed Peter Parker. So at this point, yeah, Peter Parker knows that he's Kingpin. Yeah. And but, he says that he has to kind of swallow this because Kingpin could make his life difficult if he lets on he knows who he is. Right, yeah. So he shakes hands and he accepts his apology and then he drives away. We switch to Kingpin's mansion. Who's uh, he's had it with uh, Smice bungling. He kicks him out of the office. And then he says, "How many days must he wait for his son to extract revenge?" Which is kind of weird to me because wouldn't he know? Yeah, <laughs> he just left. Plus, he didn't commit murder or anything, so it's not like he's going to spend a lifetime in prison. I would assume just accept him back into the fold when he gets out of prison and yeah. make amends. But uh, what do I know? Um, then we switch to the Daily Bugle where J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, I got to ask this if you know this. This is the most shocking thing in the whole episode to me, by the way. This was a twist. Did you know his name? This got brought up a couple of uh, episodes ago. His name is actually J. Jonah Jameson Jr. Oh, I did not so know he's that. He's actually J. 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 I did not know that. Quadruple J. <laughs> not, he ain't quite great, but. Uh, Howdy, folks. So he uh, is with Matt Murdock, and he uh, he's giving him a check. And Daredevil wants to know uh, why he doesn't want Parker to know that he paid for his legal fees. Yeah, I was like stunned. Jay Jones Jameson paid for the defense. He says that uh, it'll hurt his image if Parker knows he paid for his legal defense. <laughs> yes. Got to keep up the image of a douchebag. <laughs> and he doesn't want Parker thinking that he likes him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he seems to be about publicity, so you think it would be in his interest to now reveal that he paid for the legal fees of an innocent man, <laughs> especially with the scrutiny our, our uh, legal system in this country is, especially now. You think it would right. be in his good graces to, hey, I paid to not have a guy get unjustly sent to prison. <laughs> and then Robbie Robinson comes in and he says, that reminds me, uh, who told you you could hire Parker back? He's so goofy he couldn't focus if his life depended on it. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, then we go to Daredevil and Matt Murdock are hanging out. Murdock wait, says wait, Daredevil that, and Matt Murdock? <laughs> Spider-Man and Matt Murdock? I'm going to say that again. Spider-Man and Matt Murdock are hanging out, and he says how uh, Matt Murdock's been called the DC, 
and uh, he's going to go with him to try and build a case against the kingpin. They're just going to go together. Yep, going to go together. <laughs> Which um, I assume is the setup to, if he got his own cartoon, he'd be in a different city than Manhattan. So Ah, uh, okay, yep, yep. I, w- I would assume is the point of that. Uh, but he needs Spider-Man to stay behind and uh, fight crime against the kingpin. <laughs> now, <laughs> Spider-Man's like, yeah, I was going to leave too, but since you said so. Spider-Man, I, I guess we're supposed to be stupid at this point because I can understand why Matt Murdock could build up evidence, but what the hell is Daredevil going to do to build up evidence to build a case around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? Daredevil says it's a shame that we masked men have to uh, have so many secrets. They love, so many times in this one episode, they just love putting it out there like they don't know who each other is and... Or they could kind of figure it out, but can't. Like, this line, too. Like, it's clearly unnecessary. You wouldn't just say this for no reason. I guess the logic is, I don't know, the secret identity logic, it seems to me if they knew who each other were, it would really benefit their fight against crime in uh, in New York City. These two people in particular, yeah. yes, completely. <laughs> and then Because you go to the MCU, and like, the MCU, Daredevil and Spider-Man are literally the only characters that have a secret identity in the entire universe. Right, yeah. I guess you maybe argue everybody doesn't know Doctor Strange is the Sorcerer Supreme, maybe, but he says that all you need to know is behind this mask is a face of a friend and a lifelong partner in a war against Kingpin. They became best friends <laughs> such a short period of time. Now, it was- Only a- two people became best friends faster. <laughs> Frank Dukes and, uh, and uh, his buddy in Bloodsport. <laughs> Yep, they've been best friends like so because uh, he <laughs> he beat him in the the arcade karate fighter. Yep. <laughs> Suddenly, best friends. He got his bandana back from Chong Lee, and he says something at the end about how you die for him. Or yep. <laughs> I gotta admit, it was a great speech, but if this happened in real life, it would be a very awkward speech. It's such a weird conversation. Like I said, you wouldn't have this conversation. Daredevil loved throwing these types of speeches out there in, in this episode. And then the final thing is Spider-Man saying to himself that he's going to fight the kingpin to the bitter end. So help me. <laughs> and there you have it. Spider-Man, the animated series, the man without fear. We're going to get more in depth on our opinion, but we'll first go right to our ranking system, the spectrometer. Anyone new to the show, every week we rank what we saw. Zero to four, zero spectros being absolute garbage, four being it doesn't get any better. Brian, how are you going to rank Spider-Man the Animated Series, The Man Without Fear? All right, zero to four, uh, just two. Two spectros. Two. Elaborate on what you liked and didn't like. So, uh, like, again, like I know these characters already. Uh, it was cool to kind of see them out there and together. Loved seeing the Kingpin, but it was just so ridiculous and these types of situations are things you don't only see some of them in like it's just it was i don't know i don't want to say far-fetched because we're talking about comic book characters here (laughs) um but daredevil was put in in, and even peter parker they were placed in such like a reality-based thing so much that to see them in stuff like this explosions and all these like discs and whatever else like it was just Outside of the elements I normally see these characters in, so and some of these awkward speeches Daredevil was putting on and whatnot too. It was just just two. It was good but not great. 
Do you think it suffered at all from you not seeing the full context of not seeing the other part of this show? Oh, I, I mean, the other part of Daredevil and the other five episodes prior to that to see like the whole trial, I guess, or whatever's going on with Peter Barker, the sins of our fathers. But yeah, uh, maybe. All right, I'm gonna rank it a little higher. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two and a half. I enjoyed it. Animation is very solid. I love Daredevil in it. I like how his costumes right, and I like even though his speeches are kind of ridiculous when you when you think about it. I did love them all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, I don't know. They were yeah, they were good. But it just didn't feel Daredevil esque to me either. One complaint I do have is it it seemed like uh, there didn't seem a lot of action on the episode. Like it seems some at the very beginning and some at the end, but it seemed like there was a big period of time in the middle where there wasn't really any action. And you got Daredevil and Spider-Man. That's part of the appeal. Like you had said about the Daredevil Netflix show, how a big portion of the appeal of that is how awesome the action is right. on that show. But overall, I thought it was pretty good. I, I'm going to give it, it's not the best Spider-Man episode I've ever seen, but I'm going to give it uh, two and a half stars. Two and a half spectros. Two and a half spectros. I forgot the name of my own ranking system. Right? <laughs> And what's your opinion on, is this good enough to lead into a Daredevil cartoon? Well, I mean, it's definitely a good way to kind of get both those characters out there. You know, uh, Matt Murdock kind of helping out with a big case and Daredevil fighting, you know, the Kingpin and alongside, you know, Marvel's number one character. So, yeah, getting the rub, if you will. Yeah, I think it could lead to a good one. I, I like his costume. I like the setup. Uh, you'd have to build up a supporting cast, obviously, if they're going to go into his, uh, which Daredevil does have, so I guess it would work. What did you think out there? Did you like The Man Without Fear better than we did? Like it less? If you liked it better, great. No one can take that away from you. If you didn't like it at all, that's no problem as well. We're not uh, shaming you for liking or disliking it. You can go to my social media and let me know. I always like to hear what you have to think. You can find me at Matt Spectro on Twitter. Follow me while you're there. I appreciate it. Any comments are welcome. And you can find me on Facebook, Matt Spectra, through the multiverse. And you can uh, follow and like me while you're there. But also, uh, give me your thoughts on Spider-Man, the animated series, The Man Without Fear. Now, another thing we uh, tackle every week, if you think a child in 2022 came across The Man Without Fear, are they going to enjoy it? Yeah, I I think they would. Especially in this day and age. Spider-Man is a huge commodity. Arguably, as big or bigger than he's ever been you know this newest movie is breaking records galore during a pandemic for crying out loud it reached the top 10 box office and where other films are like literally dying on the vine i i think if someone came across it they, they would watch it and enjoy it yeah i agree i think the animation is good enough that it's not going to look terrible compared to modern animation it's spider-man everybody like you just said plainly still loves his character so yep. i think they would enjoy it they might enjoy it a little bit better watching it, you know, part one or a different episode, but I think they would enjoy Spider-Man in the animated series episode, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. But as always, what do you think? You can share your opinion. I always like to hear debates. So let me know what you thought as well of this particular episode and the show in general. If you could give me any feedback, I always appreciate it. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind smashing the subscribe button to my podcast, give me a five-star review. I really appreciate that as well. And anybody out there, support not just comic podcasts, but support indie podcasts in general. A lot of people are doing a lot of hard work and a lot of time and effort for little to no uh, no financial reward or just because just they like doing it. Brian, uh, I always let people want to thank you first for coming. Thanks for coming. You're at my house, pal. <laughs>
<laughs> I'll rephrase to uh, thanks for being on the show. Gladly. I'm, uh, it's been a long time since I've been on a podcast. It's uh, good, to, good to be here. I hope you'll come back and maybe we will do a Superman episode since you did say that it is your favorite character. Superman's the best. I'd love to. I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I always give people the opportunity to plug anything if you want while you're here. <laughs> I have zero to plug. I work at UPS and I'm just kind of coming down off the big Christmas high. That's about it. Well, and I want to thank you all for joining us. And that's it for this week. Join us again next week for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse.